0: I'm the Director of Nursing Research for the Neonatal ICU at Boston Children's Hospital. Today I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Cinda Rushton. Cinda Rushton is the Ann and George L. Bunting Professor of Clinical Ethics in the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics and the School of Nursing with a joint appointment in the School of Medicine's Department of Pediatrics. She is founding member of the Berman Institute of Bioethics. Dr. Rushton co-chairs the Johns Hopkins Hospital's Ethics Committee and Consultation Service. An international leader in nursing ethics, in 2014, Dr. Rushton co-led the first National Nursing Ethics Summit convened by the Johns Hopkins Berman Institute of Bioethics and School of Nursing. The summit, supported by strategic partners from nine national nursing organizations and seven collaborating organizations, developed a Brute Blueprint, for the 21st century nursing ethics. Her current scholarship in clinical ethics focuses on moral distress and suffering of clinicians, the development of moral resilience, palliative care, and designing a culture of ethical practice. Welcome, Cinda.
1: Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here.
0: I would like for us to start by you telling me what served as a catalyst for you to work on the subject of moral resilience. Um, I have been working for
1: really decades uh, around issues of moral distress. and I had an opportunity to uh, be a visiting scholar at the Brochure Institute in Geneva, Switzerland. And having a, a space to kind of pause and look at all the literature and, you know, where I'd been, I thought I was going to write a book proposal on moral distress. In my research, I had come across a few articles where the concept of moral resilience had been mentioned. And I thought, huh, wonder what that is. And so then that led me to um, actually collaborate with some uh, co- colleagues uh, to first of all, do a really extensive review of the literature. And we found there were only like 15 or 16
0: articles where it was even mentioned, and not really well defined. It's really surprising to me that there was such a paucity of articles or literature that describes more resilience. Well, I was
1: surprised too. Um, it's very clear in the literature there is a a, a large um, Amount of literature on resilience in different contexts, you Mm -hmm. know, so uh, biologic resilience, psychological resilience, social ecological resilience, you know, so how do communities respond Mm -hmm. to things like adversity? But in the moral domain, there really wasn't much. And so um, I sort of took on the project of trying to think about. What is unique about the moral domain? Mm -hmm. And how do we think about um, cultivating that capacity within ourselves? So in the work that I've done, I've borrowed from the general resilience literature. Much of it is oriented toward a response to adversity. So in the case of moral resilience, it's moral adversity, the Mm -hmm. kinds of things that actually challenge our sense of integrity as a person. And and then looking for ways that we might leverage what's been learned in those other domains
0: into this specific domain of um, moral resilience. Mm-hmm. What kinds of situations, for instance, lend themselves to moral distress in nursing? Mm-hmm. So there's a really
1: uh, quite a lot of literature um, that documents the uh, Causes the sources mm-hmm. of moral distress, and I think they're pretty they're pretty familiar to us as pediatric clinicians. Mm-hmm. There are things um, that revolve around end of life care, where we feel like we are causing more harm than good, mm-hmm. or where we're implementing decisions that may not be in the best interest of the patient, and yet their family is requesting them.
0: Right.
1: Um, there are you know instances where we feel that um maybe there hasn't been adequate informed consent uh that maybe o- not all the possible options have been disclosed for one
0: reason or another mm-hmm. um and and nurses are often very attuned to that right and caught in the middle they of those um situations sometimes mm-hmm. and have to make some decisions about how they will. Respond to those concerns if they are caught in the middle. Right? Absolutely, you know, um, all of the
1: sources of moral distress, um, in one way or another, arise from the the role nurses have, and as you as you say, nurses are typically not in the de- in the position of making the decision, mm-hmm. but they are in the in the position of carrying it out, right? And I think that is a unique. Um, uh, perspective on how we provide care,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that um, sometimes there's a, there's a sense that the physician who's making the decision is uh, taking on the moral responsibility for the whole team. What that misses is that nurses have their own individual moral agency. Right. That also counts.
0: And we matters. need to partner with the physicians Absolutely. to carry out the care and also carry the load of the decision making too, right? Exactly. So so it's it's
1: it's acknowledging both of those dimensions and mm-hmm. I think that makes it particularly um problematic in an environment where we have burgeoning technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, We have situations where we have chronically, critically ill children who live in our intensive care units, sometimes for months. Mm -hmm. And with that, um, I think confusion around the boundaries of parental decision-making and how shared decision-making actually ought to look in our clinical practice. um, There's a sense that clinicians feel like now we have to do whatever a family says, Mm -hmm. Which has some real costs to it as well, and so I think, in pediatrics in particular, reimagining and reconceptualizing what shared decision making is is one of the areas where I think um, there might be opportunity to to see if we can find a new way forward, right. Um, that is collaborative, that is respectful and compassionate, but at the same time acknowledges the, the important contribution that everyone
0: makes right. in, that, in that process. We'd like to stop for a minute now and ask our viewers a question. When you respond, please leave your city and country location. The question is this, reflecting on your own practice, what are the sources of moral distress in your institution? once you were in Geneva and you recognized that there was such um, a paucity of information on moral resilience out in the literature, um, what were your next steps? Where did you go from there? So the first thing
1: we did was actually do a very comprehensive review of the literature to validate um, that conclusion Mm -hmm. and um, wrote a paper that uh, highlighted uh, the existing definitions and did some, you know, uh, analysis around that. Then uh, the second piece was we collected 184 definitions of moral resilience from interprofessional wow. clinicians. And um, we asked the simple question, what does moral resilience mean to you? Mm-hmm. And so we analyzed them and did a content analysis of those and came up with a um, six dimensions, Mm -hmm. uh, themes from the data. What we found uh, was that the six themes are, first of all, personal integrity, Mm -hmm. relational integrity, buoyancy, self-regulation and self-awareness, moral efficacy or competence, moral competence, and self-stewardship. The overarching theme is the th- the theme of integrity. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about that is that integrity includes two aspects, personal integrity mm-hmm. and relational integrity. Personal integrity mm-hmm. is, when you look in the literature, the way we mostly talk about uh, integrity, that sense of wholeness and harmony of being undiminished. Mm-hmm. of being able to live your values and to, you know, sometimes have to make hard choices mm-hmm. to preserve your integrity. Right.
0: And being happy with yourself. Right? And being
1: able to, to live with that. Yeah. You know? But what was interesting is there was also a second dimension mm-hmm. of um, integrity, and that was what we called relational integrity. Mm-hmm. In the definitions, there were some very clear themes about um, clinicians saying, I need to be true to myself, Mm -hmm. and I need to acknowledge that in my role, I have to uh, work with and implement decisions that may not be what I would choose. Mm -hmm. So how to be whole in the midst of a context where there's differences of views?
0: Right. Can you give an example of that? Because I think for some people, that might be a difficult concept. So think about
1: being in a clinical environment where there is a conflict, mm-hmm. maybe about goals of care yeah. uh, for a child. And parents are asking one thing. Maybe there is a disagreement among uh, different specialties. Disciplines, mm-hmm. nurses, and doctors may not see this the situation in the same right. way. So, if for example, um, I come into that situation and I am able to remain grounded in my values and to be clear and open to other points of view, it Influences the way the rest of the team Mm -hmm. is going to show up. Okay. As opposed to when we come in and we are very attached to the only way to get through this situation is to convince the family to agree to a DNR order. Mm -hmm. And underneath that is a lot of um, judgment. And negativity, mm-hmm. then the likelihood is is that other people are going to resonate with that as well. Okay, so I think it's in a way it's subtle, but in another way it points out why, as groups of clinicians, we really need to collaborate and have reflective spaces where we can open up those conversations Mm -hmm. to increase the likelihood that we can all act with integrity and acknowledge that integrity for the physician may be different than integrity for the nurse, but both matter. The other dimension of that is when we bring our voice forward to to speak about things that we believe are undermining our integrity mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that the only way we can measure our success is whether we get the outcome we want right. so it it matters first of all from inte- the point of view of integrity that we've recognized there's a moral problem mm-hmm. that we've taken action we've spoke up we brought the issue forward, and that effort matters as much right. as what the ultimate outcome is.
0: so we've talked a little bit of it about integrity and uh, the the relational part of moral resilience mm-hmm. w- What is the next one buoyancy you
1: mentioned so buoyancy is a very interesting concept of a lot of times we think about resilience as, as um, being able to bounce back. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly true, you know, that that it's like being able to ride the waves okay. where you can kind of, you know, things happen, but you're able to kind of get your grounding back. You get back to a place where you feel whole.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is a very important part of being morally resilient. So when a, when a ethically challenging situation occurs, you are affected by it, you may be distressed, but you're able to get yourself back on course. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, there was a very interesting sub-theme in these definitions about not only bouncing back, but the idea of bouncing forward. That there is an opportunity in response to moral adversity to learn, to grow, potentially even to change Mm -hmm. in positive ways, you know, to make meaning
0: out of the situations that we find ourselves in. So as you learn from experiences, then you're building on your knowledge about how to deal with these types of situations and you get better at it, and also to see the
1: possibility that even in the midst of these really challenging, difficult situations, that we can find the evidence of possibility for what we might learn about ourselves, Mm -hmm. what we might learn about each other, what we might learn from the patient or their family, that we could use those opportunities of adversity to learn and also to learn about our systems. Mm -hmm. So having processes in place where we routinely, when a difficult case has occurred, that we go back and do a kind of root cause analysis to say, how is it that we got here? Mm -hmm. And what were the factors in the system that contributed to the
0: conditions that caused this to happen? So it really requires that you look at these situations very critically. Yeah. And I like the idea of you your suggestion of going back and looking at these situations and, and doing that evaluation um, much like we do with, you know, a, a, a unique medical situation, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not about this time. It's not about the diagnosis necessarily. Right. It's about how we worked as a team mm-hmm. to deal within this uh, ethically and morally challenging situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did we, uh, manage to maintain integrity as a group or not? I actually, when I think about it,
1: most clinicians I know already have a lot of capacity in being buoyant. There are just some situations that that you know that overwhelm their ability to be able to to stay in a place, a zone of resilience mm-hmm. so the next piece in the in terms of thinking about um, moral resilience is this idea of self regulation and self awareness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and these two kind of go hand in hand because um, being able to. Be buoyant means that you've got to have skills in self-regulation. So noticing when you have become very uh, agitated, Mm -hmm. angry, anxious about a situation um, is an important skill to have so that you can perceive the ethical question clearly without a projection, uh, without reaction, but actually see it as it really is. And those skills are very important in terms of just managing the intensity that we feel in response to either real or perceived violations of our integrity, Mm -hmm. where an important ethical value is at stake. And we may feel even morally outraged about the situation. Moral outrage is an important indicator that something very important is threatened in some way. Mm -hmm. The challenge is is that when we are morally outraged, often we are reacting from the most primitive part of our brain. And what we want to be able to do is to find ways to pause and self-regulate to to discern what is the best and most constructive path I
0: can take in response to this and that makes complete sense when you think about it i mean um, you know when you're confronted with a situation that's difficult for you you need to do something about it and take action but mm-hmm. you need to think about what that action might the best course, course of action might be right exactly so it,
1: if we can actually calm our nervous system down then we can have an opportunity to more clearly uh, discern what would be the right thing
0: So now let's talk a little bit about moral efficacy. Tell us about that. So
1: this idea of moral efficacy is seeing oneself as capable of addressing ethical concerns, challenges in a way that reflects our integrity. It's the knowledge, the skills to recognize ethical problems, Mm -hmm. to be able to Um, discern what is important in those situations, to detect, you know, what pieces of information are important, and also to have the skills and reasoning to Mm -hmm. be able to look at the various options that are available from an ethical point of view and to look at the reasons why they are permissible or not. To be able to understand the trade offs that we're making and the consequences of those.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it also involves this very important aspect of actually taking action. Okay. You know, it's not enough to just right. know what's right to do, mm-hmm. you also have to have the courage sometimes mm-hmm. to do the right
0: thing. So, give us an example of how that might happen. Think about,
1: um, you know, a situation we we're talking about where there's disagreement among the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could, one of the elements uh, or ways of thinking about moral distress is that you recognize there's a moral problem, Mm -hmm. you have responsibility to do something about it, you've reasoned that you think the right thing to do is we need to stop this aggressive life-sustaining therapy. Mm -hmm. So you've come to your own conclusion. However, then, now you've got to negotiate that in the context of relationship. So if you come into that situation and your approach is one of, you know, I'm insisting that the only way that this can happen in in a very aggressive way, it may be that there's merit to your point of view, but the people who are receiving your point of view may not feel engaged in trying to think it through or to consider another
0: pathway, and Mm -hmm. they may become very defensive. Yeah. And that can shut down communication if that delivery is not good. Absolutely. Um, And then people stop talking. Right. Which is not going to help anything. Right. Uh, And people then feel more isolated and
1: powerless, and it creates this whole spiral of negative feeling. Yes. And it leads really easily into the final concept, which is self-stewardship. Uh Because this idea of um, we have a responsibility first to know ourselves, Mm -hmm. and that includes knowing our limits, knowing what we are actually capable of, Mm -hmm. and when we are reaching a point where continuing to do what we're doing may actually cause harm to us
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or other people. Right. So this idea of self-stewardship is that we are responsible for stewarding our scarce resources within ourselves. Let's
0: talk about the next steps here. So once you got this definition, <laughs> what so are you what <laughs> are you doing with it now? The next thing that um
1: we started focusing on was concerns that came out of um the data Mm -hmm. in our own institution, but nationally, about uh, the numbers of particularly new nurses that were leaving either their jobs or their professions after a year. Mm -hmm. And our dean was very concerned about that um, and allocated some funding to develop a program to address that. So we developed the Mindful Ethical Practice and Resilience Academy, Mm -hmm. MEPRA, um, and it is a six-session program, four hours each, Mm -hmm. for new nurses and nurses who've been in practice for many years. It's a sort of combination cohort. Um, It is a program that is focused basically on three... Areas. First is a foundation of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So, developing skills to use mindfulness practice in response to ethical challenges. The second one is to develop um, moral efficacy, ethical mm-hmm. competence. Um, and the third is resilience. And so we've developed this program. It's a very um, experiential program, and in that context, we explore things like um, what our moral compass is, mm-hmm. um, how we, why we are a nurse, bringing us back to our values and right. and intentions, and then we explore things like. Um, Empathy and perspective taking, the role of bias and assumption mm-hmm. in our work, um, how we begin to recognize ethical problems, so the idea of moral sensitivity, and then how we reason about complex cases, and we sort of unpack that in mm-hmm. a way that we're sort of looking at all the elements in a in a um, more consistent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, We also then explore this question of moral suffering and moral distress and how it affects us and then how we can use some of these tools to respond to those situations. One of the big themes in the program is around communication. Mm -hmm. And communication is a place where I think nurses can become mute. They can become so feeling so disempowered that they don't think their voice matters right. or they don't know how to bring their voice into the conversation. So we actually work on that whole continuum. Yeah. You know, the idea that I
0: belong here. I know some of the work we've done here, one of the things that came out of research on moral distress was that no voice. Mm-hmm. So you're really taking the next step in and helping the nurses to get their
1: voice again. Yeah. So we do we do that in a variety of ways. We do role play, but one of the, the important elements of this program is in the fifth session we go to the simulation lab using high fidelity f- simulation mm-hmm. and we simulate conversations uh, that the nurse has to bring a concern to a clinician. And it's not an easy conversation. Mm-hmm. So they have to apply their skills in self-regulation, how the words and their body language, how that shows up, mm-hmm. how they communicate it in a you know, sort of organized format. And then they also uh, do a simulation of a, a difficult encounter with a family member to apply it in a somewhat different context. Mm-hmm. But how do you use those same skills in that? in that circumstance. Yeah. It's been just amazing to yeah. see how, first of all, they've been able to actually integrate and apply these concepts. And at the end, it's, it leaves them feeling capable. Yes. You know, like, I can do this. So we now have um, uh, over 100 nurses who've been through the program. Yeah. We have a fifth cohort that is starting soon. And at the end of the spring, we'll be doing data analysis of all the uh, pre- and Mm post-evaluation. Our early trends uh, suggest uh, improvements in work engagement, ethical confidence, and competence. And it looks like trends toward um, changes in both resilience and mindfulness. So we're very excited about that and about the sort of prospects for what that might look like in the future. The other thing that we are working on, I have two amazing postdoc, postdoctoral fellows, um, who are working on the development of an of a instrument to measure moral resilience, because there aren't any. Right. And so that has, we've taken our content analysis and organized that uh, instrument based on those six themes. We've already sent it out for expert review, and we're about to start doing focus groups and then validate it, uh, hopefully, this spring so that Excellent. we'll have uh, an instrument to measure moral resilience. We're doing it in an interprofessional context, so um, uh, so it's not just a nursing-focused instrument and also um, going to be testing it in both adult
0: and pediatric settings. Let's take a moment now and turn to the audience. In your answer, could you please state your city and country location? The question is, can you share some examples of specific interventions your organization is implementing to foster a culture of integrity and moral resilience? So um, with that in mind, what are your next steps?
1: Our next steps are um, really looking at uh, how do we, take this MEPRA program that mm-hmm. we've developed and how we can begin to um, create a systems approach to learning, creating learning communities, um, looking at how we engage different levels of our leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a meeting with nurse managers to engage them in thinking how they might support these new skills in their in their uh, staff, we're really looking at it as well from the system perspective, because you have to have individuals who are personally more morally resilient, Mm -hmm. but you also have to have organizations that are creating a culture that supports ethical practice. They have to go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. It's both.
0: Cinda, thank you so much. That was so well said. And I just want to, you know, we really appreciate having you here today and discussing this very important topic for Open Pediatrics. Thank you. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.